0: Yesterday on the program, we spoke with Farzan Parang, Executive Director of the Building Owners and Managers Association, or BOMA. Now, he said that there's the equivalent of 16 Willis Towers of empty office space in downtown Chicago. So that got us thinking, how are post-pandemic workplace trends impacting Chicagoans? The majority of people, including me, are still commuting every day to perform their jobs in person. So, What does that commute look like today? And how are the people working remote or hybrid schedules benefiting from the time they're recouping? Well, joining us now to discuss is career and leadership coach Phoebe Gavin. Welcome to Reset, Phoebe.
1: Hi, thanks for having me back.
0: Also with us is Emma Goldberg, a business reporter for The New York Times covering workplace culture and the future of work. Great to talk with you, Emma.
2: Hi, thanks for having me here.
0: All right, I'll start with you, Emma. Before the pandemic, the average travel time for people in the U.S., it had been climbing for nearly two decades. And today, the average one-way commute to work is 27 minutes. But for some, commutes are an hour or more each way. So what is it about our work in our cities that's leading to these increased commute times?
2: Yeah, it's it's a great question. Um, Well, what's interesting is that actually during the pandemic, there was a slight decrease in the amount of time that people spend commuting. So I I did an investigation for the Times this week looking at data on how much time people spend commuting. And since the pandemic, um, the average one-way commute actually dropped by a little more than two minutes, um, measuring backwards from 2019. And the reason for a lot of that is because Because a lot of people ended up starting, ended up working from home. There's been, uh, especially during rush hours, less people on the roads driving. There's a little less traffic and people are driving faster. So for some people who drive to work, there's actually been a slight reverse of that trend where they're spending a little bit less time commuting. On the other hand, public transit has really suffered from that lack of, of commuting. And so some people who ride buses or subways or other public transit, they've ended up seeing their commutes lengthen a little bit. And we see that in New York, for example, where weekday subway ridership is still around 70% of what it was pre-pandemic. So I think in terms of, um, in terms of how commuting is trending, it's, it's a little bit varying based on how people do get to work.
0: Yeah. Housing is expensive, and so is commuting, especially if you own a vehicle, because you're you're paying for maintenance and gas and insurance and parking. And of course we know the list goes on there, but when, when you're working in person, there are additional costs on top of transportation. What I'm thinking about is childcare, clothing, buying lunch. So talk more about some of those hidden costs, Emma, that people don't always think about.
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, I think it's sprinkled all over the workday. Whenever you have to head out and, um, you know, get ready for work, there's, there's all sorts of costs. First of all, there's the costs of, of, um, of maintenance of like how you're getting dressed, how you have to appear at the office Mm -hmm. that that takes a toll financially. There's the cost of people often getting coffee on the way to work, um, buying lunch when they're not at home. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's been even more challenging for people with an inflation hitting um food and and um coffee and all sorts of things gas is a really big challenge for a lot of people um in, here in New York we've seen the cost of riding the subway go up it's it's now i think 2.90 i i see that personally when when i'm on my way to work in the morning yeah um so it, it really, the costs don't stop. And, and it's, um, it is challenging, especially for people who got accustomed during the pandemic to being able to cut costs in a lot of different ways. For example, making their own lunch at home or not stopping for that morning coffee. All of a sudden, they saw that get layered back onto their day when they had to return to the office. And that was on top of inflation, which was climbing upward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's bring you in here, Phoebe, and dig deeper into the differences between those who are able to do their job remotely and those who aren't. So talk about some of the hidden costs that make in-person or office work taxing.
1: One of the costs that we haven't discussed so far are additional health care costs. When you have control over your work environment, you can configure it so that it supports your health. You can make sure that your desk and your chair allows you to have a good posture so that you don't have back pain. You're able to go for those walks that keep cholesterol down. And it also is very costly on mental health. If you are in a workplace that is challenging and you don't have an opportunity to to sort of turn off the Zoom camera and step away from the desk and, and reset for a moment. Um, it can increase the stress that you experience which has both physical and mental costs on the body and that can turn into additional healthcare costs. If those uh, physical costs Physical challenges that you're experiencing due to being in a workplace that isn't configured for the way your unique body works, Mm -hmm. if that continues to advance, you can end up needing to uh, see a specialist. You might need to spend more time with a therapist. You might need to do a lot of additional things that cost money to deal with the additional strain that going in the office has on the physical body and on the mind.
0: And we know the majority of jobs they can't be done remotely. But Phoebe, for those jobs that can. How is that flexibility playing out in people's lives?
1: so now we have a frame of reference and a shared vocabulary around working from home whether it is an incidental thing or a hybrid schedule and so it has made it a lot easier for mothers and parents and other sorts of caregivers to request that flexibility from their employers even if it is on a one-time basis and so even though many employers are choosing to force uh, report to the office mandates onto their employees there are still a lot of opportunity for individuals to have conversations with their direct supervisors to have an understanding of whether there is any flexibility within those requirements for incidental uh, situations or for their particular situation and so it's a really good thing that we have that shared vocabulary now
0: yeah even if you're not able to work from home phoebe i mean what are some work life balance strategies that you think folks can can employ
1: The most important one is to understand how you can implement boundaries on your own time when you're at work. Uh, If you are able to ensure that you arrive at a reasonable time and leave at a reasonable time, that is a really important first step for having better work-life balance. It is very common for people to stretch those work days longer Mm -hmm. from sometimes explicit pressure from um, colleagues and supervisors. Yeah, sometimes it's not so easy, Phoebe. Yeah, it's not so, so easy. So, oh, I totally agree. And that's why it's really important to understand where are you putting pressure on yourself and where are you receiving pressure from someone else? And if you are receiving pressure, can you have a conversation about that? And if you're putting pressure on yourself, can you be kinder to yourself? And if the answer to both of those questions are no, if there's no way to create additional boundaries so that you can reclaim some of your time, then it may be time to consider other opportunities and to see if you can find a better place to work.
0: Let's hear from Daniel, who's calling from West Ridge. Hey, Daniel, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having
3: me.
0: How's your commute?
3: Well, it's about an hour. Um, so I live in West Ridge near uh, Little India by uh, Western and Devon, so I have to take a bus on the CTA and then the brown line uh, down to the loop. That's where my office is. I work at the Illinois Attorney General's office.
0: okay. And are you okay with that? is Is that something you're doing five days a week or
3: well, thankfully, it's a hybrid schedule, which I think I would prefer that. So we have to go in two days a week, and uh, excuse me, three days a week, uh, remote days that are flexible, two days a week at home. Um, but it is an hour commute uh, just one way. So that's two hours out of the day where I'm sitting on my, my tushy and uh, reading a book mm-hmm. or uh, scrolling, at, scrolling on my phone or the, the looking at emails.
0: Yeah. Um,
3: but it also gives me a, an opportunity to uh, go – Uh, on a longer walk, say, to the bus stop, or I could ride my bike to the train stop instead of taking the bus one morning.
0: I see. So there's some flexibility Um, there.
3: Connect with my coworkers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There can be benefits there. But the time sink, I think that's the biggest cost to me.
0: Hmm. Good point, Daniel. Thank you so much for calling. Emma, you know, he brings up great points there. And I'm wondering if people are switching careers to be able to live a hybrid or remote work lifestyle. Have you noticed those trends in your reporting? I,
2: I've spoken to people on all sides of this issue. So I, I have spoken to a number of workers who said that when push came to shove, when they were asked to return to the office, they did look for new positions that allowed them permanent flexibility. And I think in particular, we've seen how much of a game changer flexibility has been for working mothers. So I think for a lot of uh, women with children, Pre-pandemic, their lives just felt like this kind of equation that wouldn't balance, where they were expected to be at their desk, kind of butts in chair for a certain number of hours per yeah. day um, with, with no flexibility around, you know, let's say you were supposed to be in a meeting, but you also were supposed to be at kindergarten pickup at the same time. I think that could be immensely challenging for some people. And so some were ready to say that they just had to make the switch and they wanted, once they realized how much of a game changer flexibility was... They wanted to do anything to kind of concretize that and make that benefit permanent. On the other hand, I think the wave of layoffs that we saw across the tech industry and overall the kind of um, cooling off of the labor market where it's not so much of an economy that's entirely in favor of workers anymore made some people a little bit more amenable to kind of going back to the office. And I think we're also at the point where we just have a lot more of an understanding of what the benefits and the downsides of remote work are so. We've seen how it can make workplace culture a little bit harder to foster. We've seen how it can take a toll on mentorship and professional development. So mm-hmm. some people have actually embraced the opportunity to um, to have a little bit more face time at the office.
0: Yeah, Phoebe, why don't you uh, piggyback off that because I I am thinking a lot about mothers and and parents and how they've been advocating for for more flexible work schedules long before. COVID you know made its way and and ushered in this this work from home era so how have things changed
1: I definitely agree that there is a there is an increased desire to hold on to the flexibility that was granted to us during the pandemic and the post-pandemic period. I am finding that many of the people who are coming to my career coaching practice are holding flexibility, whether that is hybrid or remote work, as a top priority for them as they're transitioning into their next role. And on the other side of that, I'm also finding that many of the folks who are showing up in my virtual office are asking about, I'm working in a remote environment and I want help and I want to strategize around how I can make a big impact and make sure that I I am seen and heard in this remote environment and that I'm able to find the mentorship and leadership opportunities that will allow me to continue to ascend in my career, given the lack of face time while I work in a remote environment. And so it's definitely a high priority for folks and people who are in that situation are very actively seeking ways to compensate for some of its drawbacks.
0: Hmm. You know, on this show, we've talked about how um, staffing issues and, and ridership behavior have led to unreliable public transportation schedules. Emma, talk about how public transit companies are doing and, and how cities are responding to the shifts in workplace culture.
2: Yeah, it's, it has hit cities um, hard because when you think about it, downtowns and midtowns and cities in general are an ecosystem. Like workers leave their homes sometimes in outer boroughs or in suburbs or a little bit further from the city centers. They commute in and they give funds to um, to public transit agencies. They patronize delis and coffee shops and cafes and they They keep the engines of the economy in these downtowns and midtowns running. And so when um, millions of workers left those routines behind, it was a real challenge for public transit agencies, for um, retailers, for workers who were employed by those retailers. Um, And some economists even went so far as to predict what's called a doom loop, which refers to the cycle where Fewer people can commute downtown. That means less money for businesses and for public transit. That means potentially more crime in these downtown areas. Less eyes on the street. Um, you know, service public services suffer, and that means even fewer people end up commuting. And that's the kind of doom loop element that that we um, that we hear about. And uh, public transit, in particular, I think is is one of the hardest hit parts of this loop. Um, the MTA, for example, as I was saying earlier. Um, their ridership still is hovering at about 70% of its pre-pandemic levels. And as of last year, the MTA in New York was facing a $2.5 billion budget deficit for 2025. And that's a big part of its operating budget. So it's something that public transit agencies are definitely scrambling to to kind of come back from. What's interesting is we are seeing some retailers actually start to move outside of city centers to follow remote workers closer to their home. So yeah. some businesses, particularly grocery stores, have actually been able to move outward toward outer boroughs and suburbs.
0: So Phoebe, with that in mind, how should people frame conversations with their boss about implementing a hybrid work schedule? And, and what advice would you give to someone who is trying to ask for more flexibility?
1: It's really important to understand that anytime you are asking anyone to change something, you're in a negotiation, and the thing that makes negotiations most successful, especially if you feel like you are on the bad side of a power differential, is to frame the thing you're asking for as being in service of the other person's interests. And so, yes, it's true that having additional flexibility has huge benefits for you, but if you're able to find the ways that that flexibility also benefits your supervisor or the team or the company and then frame your request as also being in service of them, you are more likely to be able to get a yes or some sort of um, bringing them to the table to have a real conversation about it. If the only argument you bring to the table is, I would like this thing because it benefits me, you're not really inviting that person to come to the table to collaborate with you to find a solution together so make sure that you're looking do some prep ahead of time to find ways to talk about it in a way that benefits everyone Mm -hmm. not just in a way that benefits you
0: yeah you center emotional intelligence in your coaching but not all employers are on that level so what do you say to an employer who is reluctant to make reasonable accommodations like how, how should employers be thinking about this and and fostering workplace flexibility
1: Oh, I totally agree. And that's part of the reason why it is so important to negotiate in that way. Because if you are working with someone who isn't particularly emotionally intelligent and isn't particularly interested in your personal experience of life and work, talking about flexibility as being in their interests allows them to say yes from the selfish perspective Excuse me, that they might be occupying. If you saying that having that additional flexibility allows you to support the team in a better way in this particular way or support your clients in this particular way, they're going to be thinking about it from their perspective, and they are going to be more likely to see the thing that you're asking for as something that doesn't cost them, but actually benefits them. Now employers, uh, uh, when we're thinking of speaking directly to employers, it is really important to think about retention here. Yes, we are currently in an environment where employers have a bit more uh, power in the employment relationship than they have in the past years, but we are still in a situation where when an employee leaves the organization, there is a a great cost to the organization someone leaving, having to open a new role, having to recruit for a role, having to bring someone in, train them, all of those are massive costs Mm -hmm. that are probably more expensive than letting that parent have a half day on Fridays so that they can pick their child up from um, their co-parent. And if you are thinking more big picture about how flexibility allows you to retain your talent, your labor costs are actually going to be lower than if you hold on to all of your people to the point where the folks who need that flexibility and find that to be a high priority leave and then increase your labor costs. Mm
0: -hmm. We'll leave it there. Phoebe Gavin's a career and leadership coach and Emma Goldberg covers workplace culture for the New York Times. Thank you both.